Hello, and welcome to the CDO Magazine interview series. I'm Chris Nur, Chief Digital Officer of Synity, a world leader in enterprise data software, and we're partnering with CDO Magazine, MIT CDO IQ, and the International Society of Chief Data Officers to bring you this series of interviews with thought leaders in, in data and analytics. Today, I have the great pleasure of talking with Atif Usman, Global Data and Analytics Director, Zimmer Biomed. Welcome to the program, terrific to meet you. Thank you, thank you for having me, Chris. Absolutely, my uh, my pleasure. Looking forward to our, our conversation. Um, so maybe uh, if we could if we could get right into some of your background. Um, you've done a lot of um, interesting roles, deep background in analytics and BI, but your current role spans data analytics and data science. Um, can you just give us a sense of you know what's the brief of your current organization and maybe a little bit about what's the data and data operations scope and accountabilities versus the analytics and, and data science side of the house? Sure. So um, from the data and data operations side, you know we have a data engineering team that's kind of bringing in consolidating all our data from our various ERPs and other sources. Um, and harmonizing that data and making sure, you know, it is validated per, you know, our business needs. Um, now on the data science side of the house, you know, we kind of have a separate team uh, dealing with that with a different focus, right? This is to ensure that our, uh, our business requirements are met and we are actually bringing value to the business. And really we're, trying to grow that space right now on the data science side. So it's not fully mature, but we are in, in the process of, you know, in process of maturity. Okay. No, thanks. That, that's interesting. And, and I think it's, um, I like it when I see organizations that have both of those married together, because it's been an, an observation in a lot of my thought leader conversations that, you know, not having not having good data and not having data operations in place is a barrier when you want to take things out of the lab and scale them. Um, so I, I think it's uh, it's interesting that you've started with that kind of foundational data capability and then, you know, as you as you mentioned, growing the data science and analytics capability. So so kind of building on that, um, let's talk a little bit about about your strategy and, and maybe you could share a bit about, you know, what, what role does your organization play in driving data provisioning for large programs, um, say, you know, UDI or another industry imperative um, versus improvements to data operations versus um, business ROI uh, imperatives, as you talked about. And maybe you can touch a little bit on that question of, uh, you know how you get how you how you have curated data sets decide what goes into the lab and then decides what graduates out of the lab you know while at the same time I, you know if I've understood correctly you're also doing data provisioning for large complicated programs right absolutely so for, in terms of uh strategy um you know we have our key imperatives on strategy which you know revolve around um data literacy, because um, I feel like that's important out from the visualization perspective in the business. Um, having a strong uh, consolidated and curated data set, um, as well as working with the business to build up our analytics maturity, both regular analytics and advanced analytics. Um, how we kind of balance between large programs and um, 
and smaller day-to-day -day kind of initiatives is the larger programs obviously have a dedicated you know, team that we assign to those. Uh, we have a lot of focus on that uh, versus on the regular kind of day-to-day -day programs. We have you know, our team uh, or maybe our data architecture team and our visualization team kind of focus on those uh, versus the larger programs are focused on by our data engineering team. Yeah. Let me pick up on one one comment you made, which I think is a, an interesting distinction. And, and intuitively, I think I know what you mean, but for the audience, you, you made a distinction between regular analytics and advanced analytics. Can you just um, build on that distinction a little bit and maybe talk about some of the, the, you know, the different challenges in doing regular versus doing advanced? Right. So regular analytics is just your normal KPIs uh, in various business functions, right? That the business may need to either operate, uh, you know, their day-to-day -day function, or you know, help streamline some of their processes, increase profitability, etc. Right? Uh, advanced analytics is where we bring in our, you know, machine learning type models, you know, uh, doing trying to get to predictive analytics, and and really the difference there is both of them you need quality data, right? Uh, because without the data, good data your output will not be you know, uh, usable. So with the advanced analytics, obviously there's more, I would say trial and error there, right? You gotta have a way to fail fast to know that you know, if the use case that you're working on will truly provide the value um, that is required versus the regular analytics, you know, it's, it's pretty well defined you know, that you know, this is what is needed for the business. There's a lot of uh, tried and tested uh, models and use cases out there, you know, across industries. So I had a very interesting uh, conversation recently with a with a chief data officer who suggested that for advanced analytics and data science type work, we shouldn't think of tradition the traditional IT funding model, which is basically like everything needs an ROI and it needs to be bulletproof or it never gets funded, that we should more think of things going into the laboratory, the way we think about our product portfolio, you know, and especially in a life sciences company, right? You make investments, there's a funnel, you assume from the outset that some of them are going to fail, but that the ones that succeed are going to have a, a disproportionately high ROI. When when you're when you're um making your case in, in Zimmer Biomet for funding projects or funding OPEX for your organization, is that um, sort of funneling and, and, and you know, bet approach, if you will, part of the, the, the dialogue as it relates to the advanced analytics work? That's a good question. Um, we haven't, uh, uh, that's definitely part of the conversation. Um, we haven't fully materialized that kind of a model yet. Um, the approach that we've taken is more of like a POC approach, right? Where we first do a POC on a use case, uh, see where how, how it pans out, if it will bring value, uh, kind of almost like an innovation garage type of approach, right? Where you're trying to fail, like I mentioned earlier, fail fast as possible. And if you see value, you move forward into a project. If you don't see value, then you move on to the next thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I just, I, 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 that conversation that I had um, recently just sort of spurred my thinking. And I I think what you're describing is pretty common to, you know, sort of the innovation garage that a lot of companies do, but I was, I was kind of taken by this idea that we could think of these analytics projects and POCs the same way that we think of products in sort of the early develop, you know, early R and D funnel that, you know, all ideas are good. And then, the fail fast part is there. I think that, you know, there's sort of a different maturity curve in different organizations as it relates to, to moving them through the, um, uh, through the, the, the pipeline. So, so coming back to the, the question of the, um, and, and I, I thought your answer was very clear on, you know, how you deal with the large programs versus how you deal with, with innovation, how much of a, uh, how much complexity has merger and acquisition activity added in in Zimmer and to your organization just in terms of you know even basic things like gluing together ERPs or you know carving out divisions that you're divesting and then you know trying to drive any of the growth synergies or the cost synergies is that something that um, that your team gets engaged with oh yeah very heavily so that's that's been a big challenge for the organization as well because of the mergers and acquisitions that have happened in the past and continue to happen. Um, we have a lot of ERPs, so we've had to consolidate data into one of our into our central data warehouse um, uh, from different data sets, whether it's sales, financial, etc., whether it's for supply chain or you know compliance. Um, and and it's funny you speak of a spin-off, we're actually working on a spin-off right now. So yeah, there's complexity there as well in terms of how do you carve out data uh, and you know uh, isolate it or silo it off? Because before you're trying to end the silos, now we're trying to create a new silo, right? And, uh, and to carve that out and do it while your operations continue, right? And then there has to be a cutoff date on you know when the companies separate, and then there's obviously other regulatory requirements where what data that you still have to keep as part of, you know, because um, you were part of, you know, that company was a part of you at one point, and then what data they have to keep, you know, as well. So some of that we're actually working on r- right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, that's a great point, and it's a, it's a fascinating and very complicated area. And I've, 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 I've found over the years in talking to um, you know, C-level executives, they often don't understand. It's like, well, it's a line of business. Why can't we just pick up that line of business and move it? But when you get down into the world you and I live in, you find that, you know, you've got commingled bills of material, you've got commingled inventory, you've got yeah. vendors, you know, that may may have qualified uh, raw materials and, you know, market registrations and a lot of nuances that all have to be handled, you know, in a very, um, very rigorous way in order even to define what the silo is that you're trying to put the, the carve out, um, carve out in. So very, uh, very interesting area. Maybe I could, building on a point that you just made and maybe to, to shift gears a bit, um, when in your shop and in your strategy, how are you dealing with external data? And maybe if you could just give, so, so in, in the life sciences and med device industry, in North America in particular, there's a, a data source called IMS, which is almost like the Bible of commercial operations in the life sciences world. So there are a lot of IMS subscriptions 
that, you know, there are multiple other third party subscriptions that are important in the industry. What my observation has been, they're very important, but they're often not very well integrated so that it may be the case you'll have some data subscription and you'll go out looking and you'll find actually you have three of them or six of them and they're being duplicated in different places. So, so talk a little bit about, you know, one of the things that I sort of uh, my my talk track to executives is what we we've seen in the last ten years is more data in more places, and a kind of porousness of the boundary that defines the enterprise as it relates to data versus third party data. So maybe you know share a few thoughts on on that and and you know how that's part of your strategy. Sure. Um, so a lot of that type of data as we come across it, such specifically like IMS that we've also brought into our uh, data warehouse um, and other third-party data sets uh, that we continue to bring in, specifically around, you know, when we're looking at these data science type and advanced analytics use cases, the external data becomes more critical because that's an influencing factor, uh, uh, especially in our, you know, industry with surgeons and, you know, how they would react to certain um uh, certain marketing campaigns or certain kind of product deployments and things like that. So those kind of things, those kind of data sets are are very important to have on hand. And like you mentioned, yeah, there, you know, we learn about data sets all the time. You know, where we're talking to a a, a business uh, function and they're like, well, we have, you know, we have this external data that we use from you know, XYZ company. Yeah. And, you know, that's critical to our, you know, our forecast or how we conduct our, uh, our business processes. So we have to account for that and bring it in. What we do in the system, if you're at, if you're kind of wondering from a system perspective, we try to segregate that, right? So this way we can reuse it, you know, for other, you know, use cases in the future. What's it? So I guess two, two questions just to follow up on that. So so one is um, it, it sounds like, you know, in what you were calling data literacy before that, you know, external data is probably lower maturity in terms of just people even understanding like, oh, I'm buying this data set, like I should talk to my data and analytics team and understand, you know, do we already have one? Do we already have three? What's the best way to integrate it in? Like, is that a is that a fair characterization? Yeah, I would say so. I think, you know, as the data literacy among the organ amongst the organization matures, I think that's where you're going to have a more precise acquisition of meaningful data, external data, as well as a better understanding of how to leverage the internal data in conjunction with the external data, right? Because uh, a lot of times what we're seeing is, you know, people are just, you know, they, they hear of something, they want to go grab, you know, buy a data set or what have you, or get a data set internally and take a, a tool set, a self-service tool set and start, you know, uh, going at it. And really, you know, you have dashboards and reports that are huge, you know, consuming a lot of memory and all these kind of things where um, with the data literacy training and understanding it and maturity, that would be more precise. Or are there, you know, is there an interesting example where you've you've had good success in, in an analytics use case, bringing like non-traditional or third-party data or unstructured data together with kind of standard enterprise data? Sure, um, well, customer churn 
is one, uh, you know, our customers are obviously surgeons. So surgeon churn is one area that we've utilized both, um, both kinds of data sets. And we continue to mature on that, you know, in terms of predictive analytics around surgeon churn, because um, that's, you know, very important on, you know, which products, you know, surgeons prefer, um, and whether it's from us or our competition, right? Because that gives us insight into what we need to focus on as well. Yeah, interesting. Makes sense. And just just for the audience, in um, you know the the orthopedics industry, um, surgeon preference is a, a huge driver of both product development, product roadmap, and sales. So it's one of it's it's almost like the holy grail of figuring out you know how do I make sure that that the interest remains and how do we influence that. What, so, so maybe we could uh, to 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 that, and maybe we could close with your your thoughts on the following. Um, so, you know, med devices. It's it's um, one of the most complex industries, highly regulated industry. You know, global supply chains, global sourcing. What, what how would you characterize the state of data in the med device industry? And you know, what's your thought on how we might see that change in in the next five years or so? I think data is going to become more of a product um, in the med device space where uh, surgeons uh, and doctors in general, right, even outside of uh, orthopedics, I would say, are going to use data as a product to improve patient care, um, help provide a better feedback to med devices companies on how they can improve their products. Uh, so there's a lot of these kind of uh, opportunities out there uh, to improve patient outcomes that that haven't been leveraged or some are starting to leverage right now. So, so do you think, for example, that we might see um, you know a, a framework? frameworks emerge where we could take you know kind of real world movement data? in, in post-operative settings and kind yeah. of feed that back so that you can understand the impact of like physical therapy compliance on the outcomes of an implant surgery, just to like breathe a little life into it. Is that like that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and our company has a platform like that called My Mobility that the product development team has, uh, has put together. And that, yeah, uses uh, data, uh, you know, movement data and, you know, other things that, you know, they could use in the future. So that's absolutely, you know, very important, especially now with the wearable technologies that we have um, and new things that are coming out, right? So as the technology, you know, in the consumer industry uh, improves and becomes more advanced, we can leverage the data from that for our own, you know, advancement of um, medical device purposes. That makes sense. And I think that's a great example of um, how data drives digital um, and exactly your concept. Um, this is something I've thought about and, and written about this idea of data as a product and that being mm -hmm. a, you know, a very important part of our, uh, our digitization uh, journey and, and digital and data strategy. Um, super. Well, thanks. Thanks so much Atif, for joining me today. I enjoyed our conversation. It was nice to meet you and I uh, hope you have a terrific rest of your day. Likewise. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you.